0: Hey, it's Jay, outside walking my dog, listening to a rough cut of this episode. Just wanted to let you know that uh, we do discuss things like sex and sexual health and a lot of issues relating to the body, so if you're listening in front of kids or people who just don't want to hear that stuff, uh, maybe just wait till later. But I think you're going to enjoy this one. Thanks for listening. A friend of mine is a writer and a marketer who loves to teach other writers and marketers. Let's call him John, because that's his real name. A few weeks ago, John called me with an issue. He felt completely and totally tapped creatively. He had nothing left to offer his subscribers. For almost a year, he'd spent several days per week sharing tips and tricks, processes and frameworks, big ideas and tiny techniques, all the things he'd learned over the years as a prolific, successful writer and marketer. And after a year full of building credibility by sharing everything he knew, he'd run out of ideas. John believed his problem was the last part he'd run out of ideas. After we spoke, we realized the actual problem was the part right before that. He was building credibility by sharing everything he knew. On our call, we identified a really common problem that many of us face when we make stuff for a living, especially things meant to teach or inspire or rally and change a community. This issue is everywhere, plaguing creative people unbeknownst to them. But what if, instead of sharing what we already know with certainty when we make stuff, we share things we'd like to know and then bring others with us as we learn. What if we feel stuck from time to time because we rely on our existing knowledge more than our curiosity and our knowledge is limited? If we're out of answers to give people, surely we can't be out of questions. As I told John, I think the problem is we all want to act like experts. What if we acted like investigators instead? I want to know how to do the things to do. Two or three that only comes from you.
1: Ah, this is three clips.
0: Welcome to Three Clips, where podcasters take us inside their best work. I'm Jay Kunzo, and I believe that creativity is all about these tiny techniques, micro moments, and refreshing wrinkles that often go unseen. And that's what makes something feel special or big. So if we want to make someone's favorite show, which is the entire goal, let's be serious, then we should learn about those tiny things. We should stop disassociating from the shows that we admire and go build the shows that we admire. So every episode, we ask a podcaster that we admire to dissect something they created a few pieces at a time. Today, we're going to talk to Allison Behringer of Bodies. Bodies is an incredible narrative-style podcast, which is also highly researched and really well-investigated. Allison is the creator, host, and producer of Bodies, and she's also a producer and editor at The Cut. She got her start in podcasting as the host and producer of The Intern, a first-person narrative documentary about navigating the tech startup world at Betaworks and living in New York City. Her current show, Bodies, won Third Coast Festival's 2020 Best Documentary Bronze Award And won the 2020 Online News Association's Journalism Award for Excellence in Audio Storytelling. Bodies was picked up by KCRW after Allison pitched it to a number of sources. We're going to talk about that pitch process a little bit with Allison as well. And each episode of the show is an intimate, highly produced documentary story following one person's journey to solve a mystery about their body. And of course, inevitably, more questions emerge. But before we dissect Bodies which is a sentence I just said. Before we deconstruct this podcast known as Bodies, let's go that way. Yeah, okay. Uh, Before we get into the show, let's meet the host, Allison Berenger. I think there's this misnomer about creating a podcast when you pursue a topic. Actually, any creative project. doesn't have to just be a show. I feel like some people believe, well, I have to be like the world's foremost expert in X to go and explore it, talk about it, Discuss it, share content around it. Um, you strike me as as a healthy opposite to that. I even said the word "explore." Like not being an expert means you're an explorer. You're you're, you're leading not based on knowledge you already have, but based on curiosity. And I, I felt that coming through in, in your show. Uh, before we get into the clips, I would just be curious to know why why do a show about this topic when if you act like an explorer, you could explore. Anything, right? You're not held back by the jobs you've held previously. It's it's your curiosity driving you. And why was this a an area that you felt curious enough about to make a whole show around it?
1: Yeah. So the inspiration for starting Bodies uh, is actually my own personal experience. And I studied sociology in college. I taught for two years after. I don't come from any kind of medical background, but I had a personal experience where uh, which eventually becomes the first episode of Bodies. So if you want to get the whole thing, listeners can go and listen to it. But the short story is that when I was about 24, 25, all of a sudden sex became painful. Couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. And then um, eventually through a friend figured out that it was the birth control pill. And this completely blew my mind because I had never, never thought that the birth control pill could do this. I just, I was like, Oh, everyone's on the pill, whatever. And ended up seeing a doctor who was able to confirm that the reason for the painful sex was the birth control pill. And that kind of then like got me on this whole just kind of curiosity and trying to figure out like, why didn't I know about this? Why don't why have none of my friends heard about this? Uh, what's the history of birth control? What's the science behind it? And what happened was like, I felt like I wanted to share this with my friends. like So I felt like I was constantly talking about birth control side effects, there's also a lot of really harmful side effects of birth control, of the birth control pill and other birth controls besides painful sex. There's depression, there's anxiety, there's all kinds of things that people didn't know about. Um, And I just found myself like retelling my story constantly to friends or, you know, people I would just meet or at a party or whatever. And kind of, and, and I had, when I was going through this, I hardly told anyone, I was so deeply embarrassed about it. So it really took a while before I felt like I was ready to talk about it. But the more and more I started talking about it, the more I was like, this, I, I want to write about this or or pitch this to a podcast show. And then the next thing was like, as I was talking about it more, people kept being like, oh my gosh, this reminds me of when I had fibroids, or like this reminds me of the time that this happened to me. And so what I kind of realized was that my experience was quite common. And like this story of having something go wrong with your body, especially for women, having something go wrong with your body, going through all kinds of ways to figure it out off and oftentimes figuring it out through a friend through the internet. And then having this other moment of like, okay, I figured out what's going on with me. But what like, why didn't I know about this? Why aren't there better birth control methods like all of that? So And then kind of looking into the bigger picture thing. So so my own personal experience was really the inspiration for starting the show. So the first episode is my own personal story. And then each subsequent episode is a different person and their health journey.
0: The first segment that we have is about your show's premise. We already touched on it a little bit, but I want to go deeper into the premise of the show. So I think the first thing most showrunners, podcasters creators of anything overlook is what a premise does for you and also for your audience. like when you have a clear premise, it helps you focus decisions and mold stories and ideas and guests and, you know, all the way up to the big stuff, like what's the season about to the tiny things, like what types of questions do we ask? All that gets easier when you have a focused premise versus a general, you know, like talking topics with experts right. or successful people on success. Like that's right. just too many shows. Yes, we, don't, yes. we don't need another one of those. <laughs> yeah. And so when you have a focus premise, it's like a creative decision-making superpower in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for the listener, it prompts them or gives them motivation anyway to subscribe because they go, oh my gosh, this is so for me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Bodies is that show. It it, uh, embodies that idea. (laughs) Leave it in. We're leaving it in. (laughs) Cherie Turner, the producer is literally face-palming and trying not to laugh here. We're leaving it in. So I want to share a clip. From your show that speaks to this great premise that you have because there's just so much power bottled up in the premise of of bodies so in this clip i just need to give you a little bit of context as a listener we're going to pull from the season finale of uh season one which is from october 2018 and uh we already know that this story that we're about to hear is going to be about menopause in some way and we're briefly told a little bit about that story from you allison and then you tell us that there are two stories in the episode One is about a woman named Lisa, and the other, well, we're going to have to wait to find out. So you set us up with a tease right away, and then you give us the name of the show, give us the tagline description, introduce yourself, and then we hear this.
1: 2008 was a hard year for Lisa Renee Hartman. That summer, in the wake of the financial crisis, her husband, Stephen's pay, had been cut by a third. Stephen was the breadwinner. She homeschooled their four children. They were a paycheck-to-paycheck kind of family. And so to make up the gap, Lisa started picking up catering shifts, as many as she could fit into her nights and weekends. And on one particular day that summer, her husband was out of town and her mom was in town visiting. And that night, she had taken two of her kids and their friends to the fair. After the kids went to bed, she and her mom drank pomegranate at Cosmopolitans, commiserating about their stressed-out lives. Four o'clock in the morning, I get up to pee, and I feel, you know, not great. And I come back to go to bed, and my mom is calling me. So I go into her room. I'm standing at the foot of her bed. And then Lisa fainted. She went down like a tree. The next thing I remember is waking up. My mom's on the floor, and she's holding me.
0: How, well, before I ask about the clip, what is the premise of bodies in your words?
1: Yeah, so... I explained it a couple of ways. I mean, I think the the hook is it's a medical mystery. So, I think that's kind of like what pulls people in. It kind of has like a true crimey a little bit premise, but once you start listening, it's not true crime at all. Like what it I mean, I think what it really is 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 a portrait of a person going through a thing and that thing is a medical mystery. And and that personal story is a jumping off point, a way to explore the bigger structural things that affect our health. Patriarchy, sexism, racism, capitalism, all those like big, big structural things. Um, And that's what I'm really interested in. I'm really interested in the personal stories. And I'm interested in the in the big picture stuff. And I think also, part of I don't know if it's the premise exactly, but certainly the goal of Bodies is to kind of build a community of people outside the show and like inspire people telling stories to each other. Like I think one of the most satisfying listener feedbacks is when people say, I sent this episode to my mom and we had a conversation about menopause. Like, yes, that's, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And I know you have a thriving Facebook group and, you know, initiatives around the show and we have a whole section on this show dedicated to The connection to the audience so we'll we'll certainly touch on that but while we're talking about the premise uh, what's interesting is i think of this phrase which which again is if a premise is like a superpower for creators this is like a phrase that brings it to light but through the lens of so uh my storytelling idol anthony bourdain explored whatever Mm -hmm. uh violence against minorities but through the lens of food and et cetera in this episode mm-hmm. right like I explore humanity but through the lens of sports features pieces like that we have the ability to actually go broader but squeezing it through the premise gives it a unique angle not just because it's hooky because it is right but also because it's almost like you're like saying this is a, a microcosm there's more here there's something deeper here and so you can say I explore x but through the lens of our specific premise. Mm -hmm. And so often when I talk to podcasters, they don't ever seem constrained by their premise. They seem unleashed. So it's almost like, you know, constraints are creative strengths. So I I don't know if that resonates with your experience.
1: Yeah, I think it definitely does. And yeah, I mean, I think in a way it's like exploring feminism through the lens of health or even like health through the lens of feminism, like there's kind of different ways into that. But yeah, I totally agree
0: how do you find, because it is, you mentioned portrait of a person. So obviously the the people you're finding, their personal stories, and also the abilities that they have or don't have to speak to them, which obviously some of that's on you and producers, but you also have to vet the potential candidates to be on the show. So how do you find stories that match the premise? And I think even more importantly, how do you then begin to pull on those threads so that you don't end up kind of over committing to something that really doesn't doesn't work for the show. And now you're like, well, we're down an episode. What do we do? So can you walk me through an example of like how you find then vet, then actually start to produce one of these?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I will say the first season was a little bit more haphazard in that I was just kind of, you know, there was not really a system in place. I was very much figuring it out. Oh, you are I not alone. Along. Everybody we talked to. <laughs> no, everyone we talked to on um. the show
0: is like, hey, you know, the first time I did this, I was just taking yeah. stabs and yeah. it worked out.
1: I'll give you an example from season two. Um, So our second season came out last year in 2020. And one episode I'm really proud of from the season is one about a woman named Melinda who gets this medical device called vaginal mesh inserted in her. And it's completely disastrous, completely debilitating for her. And so the way that we found her, we had known that we were really interested in a story about medical devices we think that a medical device story can get at these, like, government, uh, multinational corporations, pharmaceuticals in an interesting way. Like, this might be a story about that. And so we we kind of narrowed it down to Esure, which is a birth control device, or a long acting birth control device, a uh, vaginal mesh, and breast implants. And all three of these, we felt like kind of had had potential for a body story and that there was... You know, like, for example, vaginal mesh, it's like, no one wants to talk about like vaginas, you know, (laughs) or breast implants. Like, you know, that's kind of, oh, you know, also a touchy subject. Anyway, so what myself and one of the producers last season, Hannah, we were like, okay, I'll, I'll take Esure, this medical device, you take breast implants, we'll split this. And we basically just like joined Facebook groups, made phone calls, reached out to advocates, and um, what we were trying to do was like get pre-interviews. So I think one thing that makes bodies unique and why we are able to get such great stories is we spend a lot of time pre-interviewing. So th- these calls can be 30 to you know, 60 minutes just asking the person about their story and trying to find a story that can kind of illuminate the bigger things we're going after. And so, you know, Hannah and I probably each pre-interviewed like 10, 12 people and Melinda, who you hear from, I actually pre interviewed first, but I kind of took her Melinda to be like a total expert. I was like she 'll be a great resource because she was just like spouting information, and then Hannah actually called her back and talked to her more, and it was Hannah who like was able to dig deeper and like asked about her personal story because I was like just taking in all melinda's like great you know knowledge about uh vaginal mesh, and Hannah is the one who who uncovered the the personal thread which is about consent. And so in the episode, we hear about Melinda's journey having like being basically coerced into giving up her child for adoption because of being part of the Mormon church. And so that we're like, okay, that's a story. There's like a personal narrative. There's something more than just the medical mystery. It's about her journey to understand what true informed consent means. And it's like, okay, that's a body story. And then we went forward with Melinda.
0: Final question. We're talking about the sort of high level, the concept of your show, the premise. Um, What is the relationship between this show and KCRW? And it's a black box for many. There's not like this obvious and here's the path. So could you help us shine a light into that black box? That'd be awesome. Yeah,
1: definitely. I get a lot of questions about this too, because there's a lot of great ideas for shows out there. So yeah, I had started thinking of the idea for bodies in 2016 and... Started pitching around to different places. Like at the time, I knew someone at Gimlet. So I was like, pitched to Gimlet and and tried to reach out What's, to someone. What at, are
0: you sending, by the way? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no. What so, are you actually sending to them? So,
1: yeah. So early on, I remember it was just a, a, uh, an email, or I, I made a pitch deck, like a very basic pitch deck. And that was just like me researching how to, it, I kind of fused how to pitch a documentary. Uh, Film and how to pitch a startup, and kind of tried to merge those two things together. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, I was just sending a pitch deck, and then they're like, "Oh, do you have a budget?" And I was like, "Oh, sure. Let me send that over to you in two days." And I was like, "Okay, how do you make a budget?" And like figured out how to make a budget. Um, And then, you know, they asked for, and this is like me pitching a couple different places. So, you know, maybe you got to know, then I went to the next place. I was like, here's my budget and my my pitch deck. And they, you know, they said, well, what about a sizzle reel, like an audio, you know, sample? I was like, sure, let let me make that for you. Um, So, I mean, it was definitely a process. And I think it was like month eight or nine that I was kind of like, I don't know if, I don't know if this is going to be able to get made. And I had, you know, friends being like, Allison, like just... I don't think you're going to be able to get the money you need for this. Like, why don't you just make bodies like nights and weekends? And I was like, I need, that's not my vision for this show. Like it needs, I need to be full time. I need to be able to hire people. And I had gotten a no from a, from a company, but the person who I was pitching to was really gracious and like gave me feedback. And they're like, I support bodies. Let me know if, if I can help in any way. And so I basically took them up on their offer immediately. And I said, look, I've pitched to everyone I can think of any other ideas who like, here's all the people I've talked to. And, you know, at first she was like, yeah, I think, I think you've hit everyone. And then she kind of paused and she was like, actually, have you heard of this guy, Nick White out at KCRW's independent producer project? And being an East Coaster, I hadn't really heard of KCRW to be honest at that point. Um, and then she connected me. And at that point I had the pitch, I had the budget, I had the proposal. And I think most importantly, I knew how to like communicate my idea and the vision for the show. So at that time the independent producer project which is part of KCRW and I mean as the name suggests they they are want to support independent producers um freelancers new fresh ideas and so season 1 the 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 funding for bodies came from the independent producer project so it wasn't like I filled out a form or like a pitch form it was just like Thankfully, got connected to the right person, and I think at that point KCRW was looking for something that was going to be like a primarily woman audience, woman hosted. Um, so I think in a lot of ways it was like a good fit in terms of what people wanted. And it's so you asked about like the arrangement. So KCRW is they're the fiscal sponsor; they do the distribution, but I um, am separate from from KCRW in a way. Like I'm not an employee of KCRW. I operate independently.
0: So Bodies has a great premise and a great premise, while a lot of work is a great start, because once you provide the audience motivation to subscribe, you have to provide them motivation to stay. In fact, I think more so than most mediums, that is the golden rule of audio, which is get them to the end. Be paranoid that they're going to bail And do things to ensure they stay with you every step of the way. And I think the place you do that is the formatting, the production, the structure, the experience of it all. So we have a clip that we pulled out that we think is evocative of the great experience that is your show, Allison. Uh, And just to tee up the context for the listener. So by this point in the episode, we've heard Lisa's story. And Allison, you've been recounting where Lisa's at today, a decade later. Uh, We've just heard that during the previous decade, she had started writing and she's written about menopause. And then we hear you, Allison, talk about this.
1: And that writing was how we found Lisa and how I started to wrap my head around this life transition that is not openly discussed. And the more I learned and the more stories I heard, the more I found myself wondering about my mom's experience with menopause. The thing about menopause is that there's not really one standard experience. It can be loud and violent like Lisa's, or barely noticeable, but mostly it's all kinds of in-between with ups and downs that vary a lot from one person to the next. It is at once a very individual and very collective experience. And then further complicating all of this is that menopause often coincides with big life changes. Maybe kids leaving for school, maybe divorce, or caring for an elderly parent. And I think that maybe it catches us off guard because, by and large, our parents don't talk to us about it. And I guess I wonder if that's because they don't want to burden us or because they can sense that we don't want them to talk to us about it. And so I keep wondering, like, what did my mom go through during those years? Midlife hit her hard, and so did her life get turned upside down while I was away at college, going to classes and parties, totally oblivious? Was there a chaos at home that she kept quiet, or something that I shied away from seeing?
0: So, Allison, I gotta say, like, it, it's a powerful episode, it's a powerful show, but the moment that struck me there was the, the pause at the very end, when it's like, you had just done a lot of reflection, drawing us ever closer in our relationship as a listener to you. And then you pause and say, so I got to wonder. And it was like the payoff of the pause, if that's a thing, mm, mm-hmm. right? Like it just, it was like so well-timed and so gripping for me. And it's those little moments that that makes me love this
1: craft. Yeah. 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 Thanks for, for noticing that also. Um, and Yeah, it's funny because in the kind of final, final stages of production, that's something that myself and Dara, the composer, I mean, obsess about, like, all right in the script. So we, you know, she's working in her, I pass the session to her at some point, and then she starts sound designing it. And like, that's, I'll put in the script, like, increase by half a beat, take a beat away. So like the pauses, I mean, we, I'm glad you notice it, because sometimes I'm like, who, no one, no one's noticing this. Um, (laughs) Jay's raising his hand. But yeah, I'm gl- I'm glad that that was impactful for you because it's something it's it's some it's a detail a fine tuning thing that I obsess over a lot and I think that yes yeah, silence can be just as powerful.
0: Can you take me into the room with you when you're when you're laying track when you're doing your voiceover when you're trying to perform these moments with the right tone of voice the right yeah. emotion because it's it's one thing for the listener to get your voice like that because of course they would because all the moments before and after immerse them in the right tone. It's been cultivated and crafted to right. feel a certain way. But in the flow of your day, I mean, you woke up and it was a good day, a bad day. It's stressful. The dog, it, you know, you're going through the normal routine. And then now you have to find a way to put forth on the microphone, that kind of tone and emotion and feel. So what's happening around you and how do you get there? There, There is a little bit of this performative element that I think is it feels like lightning in a bottle but it can't be cuz you have to show up and do it tomorrow.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think my that I believe I tracked or you know recorded the narration for in my bedroom. Now I have a much bigger bedroom, which is great, but small bedrooms are really good for recording. Um so yeah, I mean my process I t- I do a lot of takes. It takes me a while to get to the take that I put in. Or sometimes I'm not happy with my take or I get feedback from my editors that it sounds flat or too like too emotive, not enough. But I just, you know, kind of try to like hype myself up enough, but then like calm down, settle into the story, go through the script, do it. I mean, it, it also takes me a long time to track an episode, like normally two hours at least to like record the narration. So, yeah, I think probably just like time settling into it, trying to like, and and I think also by that point, I've all the tape and the story is like so inside of me that once I kind of like look at the script, I can like, I can, even though I'm not hearing the tracks, I can hear them as I'm going through the script.
0: When you think about the subject matter that you, you do talk about, you know, we heard in that clip, the voiceover, the pacing, the pauses, mm-hmm. the music. What was your journey like to get that right? Because I feel like it's really, it's a delicate dance of like, uh, tipping too far towards cheesy yeah,
1: um, yeah. or
0: manipulative uh-huh. or even, you know, not going far enough. So you're not actually bringing out that emotion because it, it just feels like, uh, you know, some kind of reporting that yeah. you're doing. So walk me through like that evolution you went through to get it, get it right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. So we've talked about like the, the performance that, that occurs, but I think before it is actually the, is where a lot of for me a lot of the work goes in and and that's just just this iterative drafting process. So I you know, I, each episode there's like 25 different versions of the script and many many versions of things and this I mean I think that the reason why this works and it sounds, you know, hopefully like a nice balance of serious enough but also not too cheesy is that I've there's really great editors that work on bodies and those are the people who take a look at my shitty first draft and they're like you know, with this episode, they're like, Allison, you are like approaching this so far removed. We need more of you. Like, tell me more, tell me more. Let's bring in more of you. You know, then I like, right, 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 right. And they're like, okay, now cut, 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 cut. So it's like this, this back and forth. And I think that I mean, I'm such an advocate of having a good editor that you trust, more than one editor to bounce ideas. And, you know, for this episode, it ended up being quite personal. And so I relied a lot on the main editor for season one, Sharon Mashihi. But then also I had, I called up my childhood best friend and I said, will you listen to this and tell me if it sounds okay? Does it feel true to me? Like I've completely lost touch. Like, does this sound like me? (laughs) Um, So I think that like the answer to this is just like having one is one draft after draft after draft refining 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 i mean everything that i say that is my narration is carefully scripted like i'm never going off the cuff (laughs) never (laughs) um and so that's been very carefully crafted so draft after draft and having editors that you trust
0: We've talked about your premise, we've talked about your experience, so you, you provide a great motivation to subscribe when you feel aligned with the bodies as a premise, motivation to stick around because of that great experience. We haven't really touched on the connectivity between you and your audience a little bit, but that's really where it sort of seals the deal. It's like, love the premise, love the experience, and I just feel this tie to this show. It's, it's my favorite show. And I think about that word a lot as a, as a creator, favorite. It's, it's an irrational personal bias. Which is a beautiful thing, right? Because it has nothing to do with like what we study, uh, especially in the business world, but in general of like, how do you make the best show, mm-hmm. the biggest show, et cetera. So that personal feeling, I think in the show flows through a lot of decisions, but ultimately it flows to and through you as, as the talent. And so we have a clip here where it evokes your ability to connect deeply with your audience and you know turn a great experience into something that feels personal. Like they could say, this is my favorite show. So to tee up this clip, we've just finished hearing you uh, and your mother, actually. Everybody should definitely listen to the show, but particularly this episode called (laughs) Unraveling, because the point at which you're talking to your mother, Allison, oh my goodness. I was walking outside listening to it this morning, Uh Uh walking my dog in the quiet, and it started to snow Uh as you and your mother talked about how grateful you are for each other in like an uplifting but sad moment I was like damn you universe (laughs) like I gotta go to work now I'm trying not to I don't I'm a softy I'm an Italian-American mama's boy so that hit me hard so it's been an emotional little journey here and a very a very personal one so let's go to the clip
1: why are these conversations between generations so hard so rare I think part of it is parents not wanting to scare us about the things that can happen to our bodies. And from the younger generation's end, I think we're a little afraid of these conversations. They require a major adjustment in the way that we look at our parents, not just as caregivers who are there for us, but as people, messy and mortal with their own needs and vulnerabilities. Because talking about our bodies is about reckoning with our most vulnerable selves. But something happens in that reckoning. And if making bodies and hearing from you all has taught me anything, it's that conversation is powerful, not just for the people going through the thing, but for everyone who gets to witness them and understand themselves better through their story. And in the context of menopause, conversation makes space to share the joys of this transition, of this new chapter in life. Maybe freedom from child rearing, or time for creative pursuits, or sexual discoveries. And from what I hear, the joys of not giving a fuck.
0: Why Why do that little turn at the end? I loved it.
1: <laughs> I don't know, because that's what everyone kept saying to me when I was having conversations with people about menopause. They're like, I don't give a fuck anymore. That was, that was just like about dumb bullshit in life. So that was like a that was like nearly a direct quote from a lot of people that I talked to. <laughs>
0: It was awesome because I was already going with you, and then yeah. that little turn was like a wink and a nod back yeah. at me of like, <laughs> "We're friends now, yeah, like you and me, the host and the listener." Yeah. Uh, when you hear a piece like that, it's, you know, it it is a lot of of you and your insights and you're kind of yeah. making sense of things, but also messing with the reality. It's not so clean. It's not one nice neat bow you can put on it. Yeah. Um. What What were you struck by when you hear that piece played back to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. As storytellers, like, I think there's an impulse to try to tie things up in some kind of way. And in a meta way, there's, like, a tying up that happened by explicitly not tying it up, you know? <laughs> like, But, yeah, I mean, I'm reminded right now of how I had a lot of conversations with people. I talked to Lisa, I talked to my mom, but I also talked to a bunch of other people who have recently been through menopause. And I think that informed a lot of that. And I mean, I think that in a way, you know, I I don't normally go on, I don't normally have like long soliloquies within bodies episodes, but I kind of felt like this is the last episode. I don't know what's happening after this. I'm going to kind of take my time. And so I think the section that we just heard was like a summary of sorts of the whole experience, making the first season and just the way that, you know, you, you give your story, you put it out there and what you receive is, is a similar story and, and like this idea of collected collective knowledge building. And actually one of the inspirations for The name Bodies and the whole premise of the show is Our Bodies Ourselves, which is written by the Boston Women's Collective many decades ago, who basically were like, why are all the textbooks written by these male doctors who don't live in our bodies? Like, let's put together our experiences and build a framework around that. We are we know ourselves really well, too. Like, we have something – we have a lot of knowledge. So that's, like, a big part of the premise of Bodies. And I think, like, that's where kind of the extension of the community comes in. And, you know, the community emails I receive, tweets, the Facebook group completely informs the stories we pursue, what we think – like, what we think is important. So I think it's this cool relationship that we've built with our audience. And I think that they, like, feel that they're part of it. And and not only, like, you know – Myself to audience, audience to me, but like audience to each other, like people yeah. talking to each other about stuff.
0: Well, that's that's what makes a community, right? It's, yeah, it's exactly. uh, a friend of mine says it's, it's which way the chairs are facing, which uh, I love.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, like you, so if true. you're collectively
0: facing each other and interacting with each other, it's not just A to B, that's an audience. It's also B back to A and B to Z and yeah. A to X, and it's all over the place. Totally. And that, that's a community. Totally. One of the things that could be a holdup for people to tackle important issues uh, or even just imbue what they're doing with more meaning it doesn't have to be something like bodies it could be something like three clips that higher calling or speaking the unspoken but everyone's thinking it i think what what some people hesitate to do there is they don't want to conflate their own experience with everyone else's Mm. and i actually think it's like it's about getting caught in the middle that's the bad part it's like you want to say this is my experience or you want to have some kind of like general thing and acknowledge it's general and and what i was struck by in that piece is By you talking about yourself throughout Mm -hmm. that episode and we heard from you and your mother and the wrap up at the end didn't feel like it was too much of a reduction of reality, Mm -hmm. if -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel that hesitation as the guide that people are experiencing, the guide into this material, that that maybe it's tough to capture the truth? Because in a way, every bit of story and content is, in some forms, it's derivative of reality. It's not actually reality. so. Does that ever go through your mind and how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, I mean I think about that a lot, a lot, especially because I mean one of the goals of Bodies is, you know, I'm a white cis straight woman and a, and our goal is with Bodies is to have episodes that are not just people who look like me. And so that's something that we're constantly constantly thinking about and I think you're right, like me as a narrator, the person doing the interviews, things will always be filtered to some extent through my lens. And so, I mean, one of the things that I try to do, like having a bunch of people on the team who come from different backgrounds, like, for example, at this episode, we brought in a journalist who writes a lot about menopause and has her own podcast. She's working about menopause and had her advise. And she made some really smart edits. Um, Like, for example, at one point, I'm – you hear me say like, sometimes menopause is loud. Sometimes it's quiet, but mostly it's somewhere in between. I had an earlier draft had been like, sometimes it's like Lisa or it's not. And she's like, no, that's not how it is. you know. And like picking up on these very, very small things or even like with this episode, I talk about uh, one of my fears was like, I luckily have a really great relationship with my mom. Like I, my mom is living, she's in my life. And I was like, thinking about all my friends who like have bad relationships with their moms or like their moms have passed away. And I'm like, I feel like I want to acknowledge that. So there's like a very quick line where I kind of say that. So, right. I think that trying to say what my experience is or really present like just what the participants experience is while also like trying to acknowledge a wider experience without without overcomplicating it like we want to keep the message clear we want the person's own experience to not feel like oh but yours isn't the normal experience so yeah i think just like time space again having good editors having great editors who will push back um yeah
0: I want to mix things up in our last segment because yeah. we've talked about the premise, we've talked about the experience, we've talked about you, the talent, and your connection to the audience, and now I want to look ahead. So we're going to leave the clips behind. And I wonder as you think about this project, what's something you'd like to try to keep the show fresh, to reinvent it? Because I think over time, you know, stagnation is is all of our collective enemy, whether mm-hmm. it's you don't want to stagnate, you want to feel fulfilled, or you want your audience to continue to go with you and not get bored or not tune out. So if if you had to, I know there's probably many things, but is there one thing that you'd like to try to improve on or experiment with?
1: Yeah. Um, I think one thing that I'd like us to continue pushing on is being more kind of daring and experimental with our format. And now that we've established a, a pretty clear format, medical mystery, me as narrator, main participant, oftentimes some kind of expert. Like there is... Something I think that we've established a format. There's something that you can come to an episode and listen to and you know what you're getting. And in season two, we actually did an episode towards the very end about a woman named Angelina. Um, Angelina has ALS and she has lost her ability, some of her ability to speak. And so it's a little bit hard to understand her. And we actually decided instead of like, we thought at first, like maybe we would like translate her or like, have her sister say what she was saying. But then we actually completely flipped that and we decided that that episode was going to be non narrated. So I was not going to be in the episode. It was just Angelina's voice. And we kind of told listeners up front, like, hey, just like settle in, listen to this in a quiet spot. There's a transcript on the website if you need it, but just like settle in. It's going to be fine. And um, the feedback that I got from people is like, they heard like not, they understood like 95% of what she said, you know. Um, and so we did a lot of sound design and scoring. And I think people really loved the episode. And and I think I would I would love for us to do more stuff like that where we're kind of taking risks, where we're not sure what the audience is going to think, um, we're not sure how they're going to respond. But we've kind of like developed a trust for our audience um, and a respect for our audience that that, that they're they're down, they're going to listen. And so, yeah, doing more stuff like that—more sound, more different kinds of voices, more approaches to storytelling. So that's that's what I would like to see us do more of going forward.
0: Awesome. So, uh, Allison, I can't thank you enough—not yeah, only for the work thanks, you do. Jay but for breaking this down for us, it was such a fun conversation. I think yeah. I, I learned a ton. I know I listen as well. Some shows like to send swag or cards or thank you notes to their guests to say, thanks. I figured let's cut down on emissions and yeah. trash because <laughs> you know where those things end yes, up. Yes. Look, I'll, get a, I'll put the thank you note on my mantle for a week, but it's going to end up in the chat. Tra- <laughs> my toddler's going to draw on it. Exactly. Then it goes in the trash. So exactly. let's cut down on that. To thank our guests, we give a small donation in your name and your honor to okay. No Kid Hungry, awesome um, as a way of saying thank you for coming on to try and do some good That's in this cool. show and so i can't thank you enough i accept uh, that allison your show is incredible everybody go listen to not just unraveling but bodies seasons one and two and beyond thank thanks, you allison.
1: thank you thanks sheree and jay
0: thanks for listening this episode was produced by sheree turner original theme music by cardboard rocket Chip, an indie folk band in new york city Lastly, you can subscribe to my newsletter called Playing Favorites to get one new story every single Friday morning all about the same idea, making your audience's favorite things. There's a lot of advice, a lot of tips and tricks, and, and usual hacks and sheets being promised to you. Playing Favorites is an opportunity to just push aside all the noise and refocus our efforts as creative people on the only thing that matters to us and to our audience, making great stuff. Let's get back to that, huh? That's what this is about the rest tends to fall in line if we focus on that above all else. So that's playing favorites. You can go to jayconzocom slash newsletter to learn more and subscribe. And now it's time for our final bonus segment. Every episode, we ask our guests for a podcast that they would recommend that is not at the top of the charts, a show they'd like to show some love to. We call this segment, Play It Forward.
1: Yeah. So a show that I want to shout out and encourage people to listen to is called here be monsters. It's by Jeff Entman and Bethany Denton. And they were previously with KCRW. Now they're full independent. And um, it's a show about it's a weird show. Like when I, I just said I wanted to try more experimental things like they're totally a model for that. And they it's it's a show i think the tagline a show about the unknown so they just kind of take that and explore weird interesting fascinating things it kind of always feels like a like a um a laboratory of sound and experimentation and and really meaningful poignant stories as well so here be monsters that's my that's my recommendation
0: All right. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm Jay Conzo, and I believe this work you and I do is not about who arrives. It's all about who stays. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for staying with me. And I'll talk to you this coming Monday with a brand new episode of the show. See ya.